When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's a parent's worst nightmare. Your seemingly healthy twins go to sleep one night and one or both of them never wake up. It's called Sudden Infant Death Syndrome, or SIDS. And while the cause is unknown, there are simple steps twin parents can take to protect their babies. Today, we're talking with a mother who lost one of her twins to SIDS, as well as a NICU nurse who's also an advocate for SIDS awareness. This is Twin Talks. The ultrasound shows your babies to be healthy. What? Did you say babies? You're huge. Are you having twins? Are they natural? Which one do you like better? Twins, huh? My neighbor's cousin's brother's uncle's a twin. So can they read each other's minds? How do you tell them apart? Twins? You got a two for one. Do twins run in your family? Double trouble. You're not having any more, are you? At least you're not Octomom. If you're pregnant with twins or you're an experienced twin parent, odds are you've heard it all before. Now it's time to hear from the experts. This is Twin Talks, Parenting Times 2. Welcome to Twin Talks, broadcasting from the Birth Education Center of San Diego. Twin Talks is your weekly online, on-the-go support group for expecting and new parents of twins. I'm your guest host, Sunny Galt. Have you heard about the Twin Talks Club? Our members get bonus content after each new show, plus special giveaways and discounts. You can subscribe to the Twin Talks newsletter, and you can also learn about our latest episodes available. Another way for you to stay connected is by downloading our free Twin Talks app. It's available on the Android, iOS, and Windows phones. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Here's a question for one of our experts. It comes from Jamie of Pennsylvania. Jamie writes, the hospital I'm delivering at offers a multiples class. Is this the best type of preparation for having twin babies? Would you recommend taking a twin class like this, or is there another way to better prepare? Hi, Jeannie. This is Donna Rose Feinberg. I'm an IDCLC, mom of twins, and editor of breastfeedingtwins.org. I definitely recommend taking a multiples class at the hospital if it's available. These classes are generally a good source of basic information about a multiples pregnancy and what to expect after your babies arrive. Many classes invite experienced parents of multiples back to class to answer questions for the expected parents. Class content can vary widely. Some of these classes are more focused on pregnancy-related topics such as diet and preventing preterm labor. Some provide an overview of hospital policies and practices around a multiple delivery at that facility. Some educate parents on postpartum issues such as breastfeeding and newborn care. Depending on the content of your class, you may want to supplement with other classes on specific topics such as newborn care, breastfeeding, or a hospital tour. You can also reach out to an IBCLC in your area for a private, customized prenatal breastfeeding preparation if that's not part of the class. 
Twins clubs and online groups are another great resource. You can join your local Twins club or reach out to other moms of multiples online. Local groups often have expectant or new moms meetings you can attend now to get advice from moms who have recently been through the adventure of twin pregnancy, and they can usually offer local resources and referrals. Different groups have different personalities, so be on the lookout for a good fit for your needs. You can also supplement the class offerings with some of the many books about twins that are available. I often suggest Mothering Multiples by Karen Gramada as a great overview with both pregnancy and postpartum information. This is also the best book on the market for information about breastfeeding multiples. Your local twins club may have a lending library or a club sale where you can pick up some other books about twin pregnancy and parenting. Everyone has their own favorites, so flip through a few books and see what seems most helpful. Again, congratulations on your pregnancy. Take it easy, keep them cooking, and enjoy this new adventure. Come visit me online at breastfeedingtwins.org for more information and tips. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. So today we are talking about a very important episode. We're talking about twins and SIDS. And for those of you who don't know what SIDS is, it stands for Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. It's a very hard topic to talk about. Um, we have a guest on the phone today who's going to share her story. Her name is Sarah Peterson. And uh, Sarah has twins. Her One of her twins, Kaya Starr, passed away due to SIDS. Her surviving twin's name is Sage Madeline. And um, we're really thankful for Sarah uh, to come on the show and share her story. Um, Sarah, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. I'm glad that you're looking at this topic because it is an important topic. So Sarah, take us back a little bit. Kaya died at about 11 weeks. So take us through their birth a little bit and that time leading up to Kaya's death. Okay. Um, I was 38 weeks when, um, when I got induced and, um, I had a midwife attended vaginal birth. It took about 24 hours. Um, it took a really long time. They were 17 minutes apart. Kaya came out. She was the second one. She was my baby B. Mm-hmm. I had trouble getting them to latch. And so I pumped for them. You know, I did that and we had to supplement the formula a little bit, but everything was very normal. Everything went very well. I was very, I guess, hyper aware even of SIDS and trying to follow rules. Like I had fans in the house. Um, I was worried about, I don't want them to be overheated. We did swaddle them a lot, um, but that seemed to be how they would sleep the best, you know, um, we didn't have a bumper in the crib. I took it out. You know, of course, they slept on their backs. Um, we just, we were very diligent about all of that, all of the rules. I was following the rules. Um, I remember the day before she died, um, February 21st, was a kind of a warmer day because it was a pretty harsh winter. And um, we took them, we live in Asheville, we took them to the Fillmore State. And I had actually taken them there a couple other times and um, we sat outside and 
Uh, we have pictures, and so that's kind of nice. But um, I'll never forget that day because that was like the last full day. And my husband, Chris, and I, um, we would kind of take turns sleeping and kind of being the one on at night. Um, and so that night I had been the one getting up with them. I think it was my turn to go to sleep. It was like early in the morning. It was my turn to go to sleep. And I went and, um, got into bed and I talked to Chris cause I woke him up and I talked to him for a few minutes. And then on the monitor, we heard, um, one of them crying. And I was like, I think that was, that's Kaya because I just said Sage. So he left to go feed her and I went to sleep and I guess I only slept maybe an hour and he came in and woke me up and he said something's wrong with, with Kaya and he handed her to me and, and I could immediately tell that there's, there's something wrong. Um, she just was kind of pale and not like sloppy, but something was, something was not right about her and she wasn't breathing. Um, and I was just like immediately kind of getting panicky, you know, and I told him to call 911 and to go get our neighbor. And I started trying to do CPR, but I was so panicked that I just wasn't doing a good job. And I ended up mostly just begging her to wake up. And then the neighbor came and then I ended up calling 911 too, because I thought maybe that would make them come faster. Eventually the, I guess it was like the first responders, the firefighters came and they started working on her, and um, I left the room. And then the ambulance finally came. They took her. You know, I didn't know at that point if she would, if she was, if she would wake back up, if she could wake back up. I didn't know. So we left um, Sage with our neighbors. We we're good friends with them. Chris drove us to the hospital, and then when we got there, the chaplain met us at the door, and that really scared me because I thought, okay, you know she's gone. Mm. And, um, but I asked, I was like, if, you know, she dead. And, and she said, they're working on her. And so they took us in the room where they were working on her. And I remember this doctor kept looking over at me and I thought, if he tries to tell me they're done, you know, I'm going to freak out because they can't be done. They cannot give up. And, and the nurses were crying there. I mean, there were just all these people in there. The nurses were crying and I remember noticing that, um, and the chaplain was sitting with us, and then eventually that doctor did. He he looked at us, and he said, she's gone, you know, there's nothing else we can do, and I'm like, you have to, and I, I remember saying to him, she has a twin. You have to do this for her twin, because I remember in my mind thinking, like, you can't have one twin. That's not gonna, I mean, how is that possible? It, it all was very surreal, obviously, like, just how could this even be happening? They took us to another little room. Um, I guess all that was in the ER and and we got to hold her for a long time and and I just talked and said everything that was on my mind and I immediately started blaming myself in every possible way. I mean I thought it could have happened because I had bad thoughts. <laughs> you know, like everybody has bad thoughts. I, I I just thought of every possible thing that it could be. I was a bad person. And I never wanted to leave. I, I kind of never want to leave. How am I supposed to leave my, my child here, you know, and go home without her? They said, you have to go home to Sage. You have to go home to Sage. And eventually we did. And I remember... I had to go to the restroom because I've been holding it that whole time. And I went 
And when I was walking back to leave, I walked back by that little room and the nurse was holding her and talking to her. And I remember just, just being really touched by that because I didn't know what would happen when I left the room. You know, I left my child there and just feeling like they're honoring her. They're treating her like a real person because she is. And they did send her to the medical examiner in another city to um, have an autopsy, which, of course, we didn't want, you know, anybody messing with her. But um, I guess it's like the law. They have to do that, which, of course, later was good in a way because then they ruled out, you know, all these different things. Sage... During that week leading up to the funeral, we had taken her to all these different specialists and had tests done, and I thought, you know, what if she dies too? And I was terrified. Um, And and just nothing was coming back. Like, there was really no problem. Um, The cardiologist was really informative because she had studied SIDS and sudden death, and they were looking at maybe this long QT syndrome. We did all that and really never found any answers. I um, I even called one of the doctors, whose name was also Sarah, um, who did, who had done some of the autopsy or, you know, was part of that. And she answered my questions and I, and I was, you know, thinking, could she have choked because she had just eaten right before? Um, was it this? Was it that? And they're like, no, 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 <laughs> really to everything. And which was good because it was, a way for me to just realize there's nothing we could have done. There's nothing we could have done. We did everything. We were supposed to we don't smoke. You know, they weren't preemies. They weren't underweight. I gave them breast milk. They slept on their backs. I followed every rule. And this happened anyway. And that was really hard for me to accept because I thought I could prevent it. And then I was told all I could have done is reduce the risk, which we did. Is there any, I mean, it's such a hard topic to talk about because it's it's not like like you said before, that, that it could have been prevented. But for the the twin parents that are listening out there, do you have any advice or, or thoughts? I mean, with twins, it's so hard because you're just trying to survive. And mm-hmm. you're like, what can I do to survive? And I, I think it's just tough because you, you're trying to get sleep and you're trying to get them to sleep. You know, one thing I'd wished is that I'd had them in the same room with me to sleep because, um, you know, we were taking turns. So Chris was awake when Kai died. He was in the other room. You know, he didn't know she was taking her last breath. Sage slept in a co-sleeper from that night on. So I will say that I have read research about babies sleeping next to their mom and how that can help regulate their breathing and their heart rhythm. And I think that that would be my one regret is that, you know, she wasn't right there next to me. And I don't know that that would have prevented it. I mean, it it, it might not have. <laughs> right. And I've accepted that, you know, that even if she has been right next to me, it may still have happened. Well, Sarah, I am, I'm so sorry for your loss. I know this happened a while ago, but that um, I'm sure that that is still with you on a daily basis. And um, I know it's hard to talk about. I love to hear, though, the, the joy that you have in your voice when you talk about Kaya. I think that's very beautiful. And I'm glad you were able to hang on to that. Um, but thank you for being with us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. When we come back, we'll talk with Christine Perez, a NICU nurse at Tri-City Medical Center. She's also an advocate for SIDS awareness. She'll tell us more about what SIDS is 
the risk factors, and what twin parents can do to help protect their babies from SIDS. We'll be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Joining us today is Christine Perez. She is a NICU nurse at Tri-City Medical Center. She's also a SIDS awareness advocate. So, Christine, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about what SIDS is. I know there's a lot of question marks around this, but um, what is SIDS? So sudden death syndrome is a sudden death of an infant that is less than one years old, which can't be explained through a thorough investigation. Um, it is actually the leading cause of death in babies one month to a year. So do we know how many infant deaths um, are contributed to SIDS each year? Yes, there's about 2,000 deaths a year that are contributed to SIDS. Okay, and it's probably too specific to know, but for twins and SIDS, what do we know about twins and how they're impacted by SIDS? You do have a double the risk, up uh, 50% risk of having SIDS if you have twins. And the reason for that is because a majority of twins are going to be preterm. So it's not specific because they are twins, it's because they are more likely to be preterm. Okay, and by preterm, we're talking about before 37 weeks? Or? Yes, before 37 weeks. Okay. Okay. And do we have any information out there about, um, you know, just because, you know, if you have one twin that dies of SIDS, I mean, you still have another baby involved. So what do we know about, you know, how this impacts the other twin, if anything? Um, Unfortunately, if you look at twin research in SIDS, there's not a lot of current research. A lot of the research was done in the 1990s and from what I did find, it's about 1% that the other twin could pass also. Okay, and it doesn't specify, you know, fraternal, identical, anything no, like it's that? No, really that limited information. Okay. There needs to be a lot more research on twins and SIDS. The confusing part that I find is that SIDS, they don't know what causes yet, yet they can say, well, you need to put your baby on, you know, it's back to sleep at night and all this kind of stuff. So um, there, there truly hasn't been any kind of, you know, this is what causes SIDS. I just want to make that clear. Right. There is one thing that makes it a little more easier to understand. Researchers use what's called a triple risk model. Okay. So they think there's three things involved and all these three areas have to be in line in order for a SIDS event to occur. Okay. So the first one is called a vulnerable baby. So that may mean a baby has some type of underlying abnormality of the brain or maybe something genetic and it will have an effect on their heart rate and breathing pattern. The second part of the model is first six months is a critical developmental period. So the sleep-wake patterns and the growth changes. Now the third part of the model is the environment, like the outside stressors, and that is things like babies being on their back, cigarette smoke. So those are the types of things that we can reduce the risk. So the hope is that if you reduce the risk of the outside stressors, then maybe we could do, then you could decrease the risk of SIDS in general. Okay. So this was basically taken from babies that were classified as having SIDS, yes. right? And then you just basically look at the common denominators. Right. 
Okay, and that's how we come up with the risk factors for right. it. But we can't definitively say this is what causes You cannot SIDS. prevent you cannot definitely say the cause of SIDS and it cannot be 100% prevented. All we can do is reduce the risk of it happening to baby. What do we know about the risk factors associated with SIDS? So there are several risk factors associated with SIDS. One of them is preterm and low birth weight babies. And one of the reasons is because, you know, they're not preterm babies are not fully developed and so they might not have a fully developed neurological system. The other thing is in the hospital, we have the preterm babies in an incubator, we have them on their stomach, we have all these nice little developmental boundaries and the parents see that and so when they go home, they want to mimic what we do in the NICU. Mm. So in the NICU, what we're trying to do is once the baby is stable and out of their little incubators, is putting them on their back to sleep so we can model safe sleep for the parents. Boys are more likely to die of SIDS than girls. And any reason behind that that we no, know of? No, not that we know of. It's just when they do their um, research, it's been more boys than girls that have died of SIDS. They've noted that culturally, African-Americans are two times more likely than Caucasian babies to die of SIDS. They might be partly cultural. There's some studies that show African-Americans are more likely to co-bed and have the baby in the bed with them to sleep. And American Indian, Alaska Native um, population culture may have the effect of overheating because they're known to put them in the papooses and swaddle the blankets over. They've noticed that babies being born to a mother who's under the age of 20 is a risk factor. Hmm. Do they know why? No, it's not definite why. I think okay. just when they did a review of cases. Okay. Uh, mothers who received late or no prenatal care. Smoking during pregnancy. If smoking during pregnancy was stopped, they say that one third of SIDS could be prevented. Wow, it that's has, pretty staggering. Yes. Um, wow. Besides putting the baby back to sleep, it's the largest risk for SIDS. So smoking is extremely dangerous during pregnancy. And, but, yeah, so they, but do they have any, again, I keep going back to why, and they right. don't really know why. It's though, right? um, all neurological, and during pregnancy, what happened is something to do with the nicotine on the brain receptors. Okay. And then babies after birth that were died of SIDS, they found more nicotine in their lung tissue than babies that wouldn't have smoke exposure. Okay. So you don't want to smoke during pregnancy, and we want to eliminate secondhand smoke because even secondhand smoke can increase the risk of SIDS. So, Christine, um, let's talk about what parents can do to help prevent this. Um, I know the term prevent, it, you know, we can't necessarily prevent it. We don't even really know what causes it, yeah, right? Yeah, I we're try to say to re reduce the reduce. risk. Reduce. There you go. Reduce, reduce the <laughs> risk. We're reducing the risk. So let's talk about environment specifically when it comes to sleep. When putting your baby to the sleep position, the temperature of the room, bedding, and type of bed all are important because unsafe sleep practices is a major risk of SIDS. The main one is babies putting putting them on their stomach to sleep is a huge risk for SIDS. They need to be on their back. The reason is that is when the babies are on their stomach, it increases the risk of overheating. They can rebreathe their expired breath, which can lead to carbon dioxide buildup, and that will lower their oxygen levels. Also, if it, there is a misconception, I get this a lot from parents in the NICU, but if my baby's throwing up, they'll be better on their stomach. Actually, they won't. Um, the baby's natural anatomy is meant for their back. So if a baby is on their back and they're going to throw up, they're either going to swallow it or they're going to throw it up out the side of their mouth. If the baby is on their back and they throw up, because of the way the body is made, it's just going to sit in a trach and pull there, and then the baby will aspirate and choke on the food. So it's 
higher risk of aspiration on their stomach than it actually is on their back. And I know that's one of the main misconceptions about um, putting the babies on their stomach. The other thing I hear a lot is, but my baby sleeps so much quieter and better on their belly. And yes, they do. It's because putting the baby on their tummy decreases the arousal state. And that is not going to protect them from having SIDS. You don't want them in such a deep sleep that they're not going to have the normal reflexes and response times. The mattress needs to be firm. You never want to have a soft mattress. You never want to put pillow again, only the thing in the bed is the baby. And you want to share your room, not your bed. So you want to make sure that the baby is in a separate bed. So this is true for twins too. You want to make sure that they're both have their own sleeping environment and their own bed in your room. Another thing that is very hazardous is falling asleep on a couch or chair with the baby. The baby can get trapped in the sides of the couch or chair. So you don't want the baby to be on a couch, a chair, alone, or with anybody else. I know sometimes that's tough if you're breastfeeding your baby. I don't know. Sometimes breastfeeding puts me to sleep. Right. (laughs) It puts the baby to sleep and it puts me to sleep. And that's the thing we found with um, breastfeeding in the bed in SIDS is that when there is maternal fatigue from breastfeeding, that increases the risk of SIDS. Okay. So that's why you want to take the baby, breastfeed the baby, and when you're done breastfeeding or you feel very fatigued, put the baby down. Okay. Because that is when SIDS can occur. There was a... um, pretty big study done in Germany and they found that exclusively breastfed babies at one month had half the risk of SIDS. So there is newer studies showing that babies that are breastfed exclusively have less risk of SIDS than babies that are not. I know from my own personal experience in nursing my own babies that at least in the beginning they had a tendency to wake up a little bit more frequently. Have yes. you heard about that? And that is one of the reasons why breastfeeding is safer because okay. the babies are more easily aroused. A uh, formula-fed baby, sometimes three, four hours before they wake up. But you probably know breastfed babies, sometimes every two hours will right. be ready to eat. Right, especially when they're really yes. small. <laughs> and they're waking up all the time. The parents probably feel like it's every five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> they did a lot of studies and they found that having giving a baby a pacifier at night also decreases the risk of SIDS decreases the yes. risk. Wow. Yeah, it has to do with their arousal state. So if they have their pacifier when they're going to sleep, they're sucking, and that somehow has been decreasing the risk of SIDS. The only um, thing they do say is that if a baby is breastfeeding, just wait for the first month until breastfeeding is established because we don't want confusion with the pacifier and breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. But most SIDS occurs after the first month. So you put the baby in the bed and give it as pacifier. Okay. Wow, that's interesting. And I, what about um, what the baby is wearing? I guess this kind of goes along with, you know, the stuff that's in the crib but to prevent them from getting too hot. I've heard that that's something that we should consider. Overheating the baby has been shown to cause SIDS. Just because when they are overheated, it makes them in a deeper sleep and less arousable. The amount of clothing should just be a single layer. So you can just put the baby in a, like, one-piece PJ outfit. And if you want to use a blanket... Um, make sure you know you use a light a light blanket for summer and you can use a warmer blanket but they can only be wearable blankets so you can see them in all the different department stores and there's tons of different brands but they'll say a wearable blanket on them and those are recommended by the AAP and they're safe because the thing is they cannot you don't want loose bedding you don't want loose blankets you don't want swaddle blankets because the baby can undo it and it can go over the baby's head so these wearable blankets are sleep sacks the babies can't get out of and they're safer. 
But the best thing is just have the baby in their pajamas in the bed with their pacifier. (laughs) There you go. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate having you on our show. For more information about this topic and to learn a little bit more about our expert, you can visit the episode page on our website at newmommymedia.com. This conversation continues for members of the Twin Talks Club in our extra bonus content. Christine will tell us more about how a SIDS diagnosis is typically made. For more information about our club, visit the members section of our website. All right, so we have a segment today. It is called We're Expecting What? And it's where we share some of the funny stories of how we found out we were pregnant with twins. We share your stories. So we love when you guys submit this stuff to us. This is from Brandy. And Brandy says, When I first found out we were pregnant, I told my five-year-old that she finally got what she wanted. I told her that mommy is going to have a baby. She then looked at me and said, So I get two now? Little did we know she was right. We found out at seven weeks that we were, in fact, expecting twins. She now always asks what the babies are doing, and when she sees the Sanos with me, she never leaves either baby out on all the kisses. She always makes sure she kisses my belly twice, at least once for each baby. I love that. I think that's so cute. Brandy, thank you so much for sharing that with us. If you have an interesting story about how you found out you were pregnant with twins, we would love to hear it. You can send us an email or call our voicemail at 619-866-4775. That wraps up our show for today. We appreciate you listening to Twin Talks. Don't forget to check out our sister show, Preggy Pals, for expecting parents, and our show, The Boob Group, for moms who breastfeed their babies, as well as Parent Savers, your parenting resource on the go. This is Twin Talks Parenting Times 2. This has been a new Mommy Media production. The information and material contained in this episode are presented for educational purposes only. Statements and opinions expressed in this episode are not necessarily those of New Mommy Media and should not be considered facts. While such information and materials are believed to be accurate, it is not intended to replace or substitute for professional medical advice or care and should not be used for diagnosing or treating health care problem or disease or prescribing any medication. If you have questions or concerns regarding your physical or mental health or the health of your baby, please seek assistance from a qualified health care provider. New Mommy Media is expanding our lineup of shows for new and expecting parents. If you have an idea for a new series, or if you're a business or organization interested in joining our network of shows through a co-branded podcast, visit newmommymedia.com. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft. Made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com. Hey, mamas. Don't forget to check out Mighty Moms. It's our online community built for new moms just like you. Not only can you connect with other moms, but you can also join us backstage for special mom-only online events. And you'll also be notified when we're recording so you can join us as a special guest. Visit our website, newmommymedia.com, and click on the Mighty Moms banner. It's free. That's newmommymedia.com. See you there.